There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Welcome to the ID10T podcast number 1028. Irvine, California, November 15, 16. I'll be there uh, doing stand-up comedy jokes. Uh, and then also I will be in Tacoma, Washington, December 12, 13, 14. Uh, go to uh, either the Irvine Improv website or Tacoma Comedy Club website or just id10t.com slash tour. Uh, and maybe uh, go to id10t.com and sign up for the email list and then you'll just get this stuff. Uh, and then you won't have to listen to me. Talk on and on and on about it. But uh, please come out to the shows. I would really appreciate it if you came out to the shows. Because <laughs> it's fun to perform for people. Um, let's talk about the ID10T community corkboard. Events at ID10T.com. Like Johnny who writes, Hi everyone, I want to tell you about a new podcast that a friend of mine and some of his friends have just started. It's called Nerding for Beginners. Nerding for Beginners is a podcast where rookie nerds Mike and Dave get together with some more experienced nerds, Brandon, Brandy, Glenn, and Zach, to play games of all types, talk movies and TV and more. They're current, currently playing a and d campaign and having a great time. They can be found on iTunes and Google Play Music and Facebook and Instagram is Nerding for Beginners. A great job starting a thing with stuff you love. This episode is Edward Norton, who was so great. Oh, he was such a, just so engaging. I really enjoyed talking to him. I tell him in the podcast, I'm like, I, we'd never, I, well, we had met one time. I moderated the Birdman panel at New York Comic Con years ago, but that was like really short. And uh, he was just so insightful and so open and just such a regular dude. And um, it was an, ab, it was so, 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 so nice. I, just a guy that like, fuck, I really want to, just want to call this guy up and go have coffee with him from time to time and catch up and pick his brain about the business. He directed a movie called Motherless Brooklyn that he also stars in that is superb that I saw recently. Alec Baldwin's also in it. Willem Dafoe, recent uh, podcast guest, Willem Dafoe was also in it. And uh, that is in theaters November 1st. Go see that. And many thanks to Edward Norton for uh, coming on the ID10T podcast number 1028, which begins right now. Nice to have you here in my house uh, podcasting. It was nice of you to come over. 
I got to see the movie yesterday, and I loved it. Oh, thank you. It's not only visually stunning, the acting is great, and the fucking soundtrack is incredible. It is good music. From start to finish. And there was a minute where I thought, because I heard a Tom York song in there, and I kind of thought maybe he scored... The whole thing, but it. But then I saw someone else's name yeah. as the in the in the credits for music. No, I. Um, as with many things on this film, um, the 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 music is a place I brought the talents of other people to bear in a way that made me look like I knew what I was doing. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like. But but um, I ca- I had this like this trifecta of geniuses: um, Tom York from Radiohead and. Wynton Marsalis, yeah. the great uh, jazz musician and historian and impresario of jazz talent, and this incredible protean te- uh, British composer named Daniel Pemberton, who, when I when I went to kind of all of them and said, I, I know this sounds crazy, but I I kind of want a fusion of of Tom's Tom's kind of you know. Um, Modernist dissonance that, exactly and, the and word. jazz, they all really rose to it, and and so Tom wrote a jazz inflected mm-hmm. ballad, something that could lend itself it, to doing it. Winton, I don't know if you noticed, but when there's a scene where my character and uh, the, the character played by Gugu and Betha Raw that, that dance in mm-hmm. the club when um, and um, and that is. That is Winton's sort of Miles Davis like arrangement of Tom's song. Oh wow! That's yeah, I don't know if really you, cool. you noticed that. It's out now as a forty-five. It's the Tom version on one side and the Winton. I version. mean, that that was exactly the word when the I other. thought of it. It was like it's that Tom York dissonance where it 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 sort of you know a lot of his music sort of makes this statement about like the juxtaposition of comfort and discomfort. Mm-hmm. It's like the longing for comfort in a, in a, in an uncomfortable dissonant world. And that to me is sort of the undertone of what Tom does. I, I'm going to poach what you just said. Cause that's, <laughs> no, that, is, that, is, that is it. He, he, he really is like the longing in the heart and the terror in the head of like right. the times we're living in. Right. right. And, and I, my, you know, my character has Tourette syndrome and obsessive compulsive disorder. And I felt that there should be a, um, a dissonance of a way of expressing that in music that that is not entirely of the era that it's in, you know. Right. And I feel like that's what Tom has done so brilliantly in their music. And um, and but Daniel Pemberton, who's this great composer, when I said like I want I want it to have the the lush jazz romanticism and melodic, you know, thematic sophistication of like a Chinatown or a, yeah. you know, um, um, LA confidential or, or something like that. But I want this undercurrent. That's a, ref, that's a, that's a more dissonant reflection of, of this, this, this condition, yeah. this, this affliction that he has of the brain that can't stop. And, um, and they all kind of came together. I think some people were looking at me cross-eyed, like these things don't go together. <laughs> but when, but I think what's wonderful is when people like that are drawn to each other's language, th- these kind of crazy great things happen. And I think it, it, really, is, it really is a wonderful musical hypnosis um, effect that sometimes, you know, it's funny because, because m- movies function on a very, 
I think people get very hung up with the wrong um, metrics, if you want, on movies. I don't think audiences think about length or comprehension or any of the things that sometimes people talk about. Mm-hmm. I think if it, what they want is an experience where they enter in to a thing that feels authentic on its own terms, and if they have characters that they can connect with and they get carried through worlds that take them away... Yeah. The the notion that that you know no audience wants to be ahead of a movie. They mostly want to be behind a movie. They want to be surprised by it. But mostly, what they want is um, they want to feel like they've dropped into uh, a trip or a journey or whatever. And that can come in all kinds of styles and forms. But I think um, you know I, I've always felt like even though there's sort of a certain a kind of a noir, LA confidential period vibe to this, that I thought as much about movies like Rain Man or Forrest Gump or because I think that sometimes when you have an underdog that you can root for, mm-hmm. when, when, when you root for someone n- not, not despite the affliction that they have, but because of the affliction they have, it, if you feel that kind of empathy right at the beginning, you're, you're kind of like, I'm on this guy's side. Watching him navigate the world is right. the pleasure of the whole thing. And the, and in a way, the the point, you know, it makes me, that, that in a way, empathy is the whole pull of the whole thing. Yeah. In a lot of ways, you can, you can take people almost anywhere if they're bought into that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, um, and I think that uh, to me... In the end, I sort of – I feel like a part of what Tom's music, what I wanted to – all of it, it. I think that in – you know, the thing is that in, in difficult times, in times where you feel in a weird way like the power structures are oppressive or are um, antagonistic to like hum- humanity yeah. and the idea of caring about each other. It's hard. Those are the hardest times to get up out of your own shit and say, "I'm going to act." Right? But I think, and I think, when someone, when you set up a character whose affliction is is more extreme than our own, but we see our, we see in it that feeling of feeling exhausted and lonely and not being understood and all of it. If that character can can rise and in a way muscle himself up into being more heroic, then you kind of feel like maybe I can too. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and I think the the choice to do the narration, which is basically his internal monologue without the Tourette's, I thought was a really interesting choice because you're seeing, you're understanding how he feels and then seeing him try to uh, navigate that and, and act on that. Right. And so there's this internal impression, uh, oppression that is very analogous to what's going on yeah. in the city with the neighborhoods. And it's, it's intimacy, isn't it? I mean, I think in a weird way, even when you work on a character who may – I don't even want to call it a villain, but who might um, – the best characters are the ones we, 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 un- we, we get them – in an empathetic way. Mm-hmm. I think what's actually quite brilliant about Alec Baldwin's performance in this playing, in many ways, kind of a Darth Vader-like <laughs> figure, a, a Jedi Knight, a, a person of legitimate yeah. powers and talents and unique. He's not um, 
some people have sort of caught evocations of our current insane clown president. But the um, but I think the truth is this character is based on on people who really existed in the fifties. Sure. And he he's a genius. He's an actual. He's a genius. Uh, um, a Jedi Knight of of thinking about how you actually do things like build cities. Mm-hmm. But he has gone to the dark side sure. in some ways. And yet, what's so great about Alec is it's that same thing that we loved in Glengarry Glen Ross. It's like he's a he's a he's you know lethally intimidating, but there's a charm in it. There's a seduction to his intelligence that pull, that pulls you into a place where you kind of go, I I am frightened of what this guy represents, but he's also saying things that <laughs> that that are that get inside the head, and you kind of sure. go, there's a point, there's a there's a point in this. It's a it's dark and it and it's brutal, but it right. has a logic that that almost seduces me. You know right. what I mean? Right. And um. And I think that that uh, so I, th- I I think if you can if you can make a um, an audience sort of see themselves inside the story if they can if they can see a way to empathize um, in many ways that after that you're I mean if you think about it's really funny Forrest Gump you know it's re- Eric Roth is in my opinion one of the great modern screenwriters and he we tend to reduce that movie to um life is like a box of chocolates <laughs> right, or right. you know i'm not a smart man but i know what love is you know what i mean yeah it's it sort of gets reduced to these like little stuff clips. you can put on a t-shirt yeah. right but the movie that movie is very much about america descending into into an unkindness it's it's about that movie that that movie is about like America descending into the tumult of the 60s, right. the war, she's been abused by her father, mm-hmm. you know, molested by her father. She gets AIDS. It's really about the country tearing itself apart, but he prevails because he's kind, because right. he, he focuses on love, right? And, right. But you forget, you forget how dark that movie is behind him, you know what I mean? The distillation of it is you don't you know nobody says like nobody narrates the plot of Forrest Gump they 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 journey through it with him and they take away the the essential message of empathy right you know what I mean and right. I think that that you know I hope in a in a different way this I really believe in those kinds of characters I think that height, characters who are in a way they're not they they almost seem hyper real they're they're like extreme. But but people can still identify their own characteristics. Well, sure. I mean, the, be- the best I mean? characters are, are not, uh, you know, so binary as like pure evil or pure good. You know, it's like no. they, you you know, you want to know that Anakin Skywalker still has good in him right. somewhere, yeah. and, or to understand like, hey, this person sucks and what they're doing is shitty. But then you see like, oh, okay, well. These series of things happen to them, and given those set of circumstances. Yeah, a, a higher percentage of people. You know, it's funny because after your movie, we went to the premiere of Maleficent, which is entirely about that. <laughs> which is entirely about this mm-hmm. is a character that you know historically in the old storytelling was like right. this character is evil, and then they've essentially humanized her and tried to give you the sense yeah. of like here's why she's and trying to. And so it's funny that we are now in our culture like trying to like 
understand and give depth and maybe empathy. And I yeah. hope that it's – I hope the grand uh, 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 plot for humanity is ultimately to become more empathetic. But I think your movie – I noticed a thread, a recurring thread of loyalty. Every – piece of that movie revolves around some loyalty, whether your loyalty to Bruce Willis's character, mm-hmm. the, the detective agency within their own loyalty, Alex's characters, their loyalty, Willem Dafoe, like yeah. everyone. Yeah. It's all about like, and kind of what I want to talk to you about in a, about the movie and stepping away in a bigger sense of like, when is it the difference between Looking out for yourself, but then also not being too selfish so that you're supporting your friends versus the moments where it's like, oh, yeah, that guy just totally fucked everyone over. Right. They were supposed to be friends. There's a lot about friendship and loyalty in there. Yeah. I, and I think um, you're, you're right. And I think that to me, I, I, I hope in this there's a that there's a we, woven through it is this question of 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 who do we want to be in a way do we want to be do we want to like be maximizing power mm-hmm. and max it is as Alec Baldwin says is is the maximization of power of of the drive to get things done um a greater value than taking care of each other mm-hmm. or or vice versa you know and and you can rash you can say in many cases, you can say that that there's a legitimate argument for, for the idea that you need people with a kind of tough-minded vision to move society through hard transitions like New York going from a 19th century city to a modern city mm-hmm. and sort of the old adage, you got to break a few eggs, right? And, and, there, and there's an argument for – there's an argument that people with the capacity – to do bold things and to see the end game uh, are, are needed. You know what I mean? That, we, that the democratic conversation has the capacity to bog us down, right? But at what point does that tip over into power expressed in, in ways that are too brutal? Sure. Too brutal. And how much of it are we willing to take? And... I mean, it's hard not to point at movies like Chinatown. Like, you you know, Chinatown, like, the great question in it is how much is enough? You know, he, he says to John Huston in that case, you're, you're slowly realizing that sunny L.A. has this really, really dirty <laughs> shit going on. And yeah. that the, the, the whole town is being built on a crime. Right. And, and that the people who committed those crimes molested their daughters like that. You know, right. it's a dark, it's a dark pulling back of the... You pull back the corner on the sunny California of the right. American dreams and says, whoa, lo and behold, there's, there's a lot underneath this story that's pretty, pretty dark. But I think um, – I kind of think like the detective – the detective in a way stands in for a lot of us in saying like, you know, hey, I'm no moralist, but – <laughs> but hang on a second. How much of this do you expect us to put up with? Right. You know what I mean? That right. that isn't a lie. Even even Bogart, even sort of what I would call the more cynical kind of gumshoes, there is this you always get this sensation they're floating they're floating in the shadows, they're floating in the underbelly of what's going on, and in a lot of ways they're in it for a buck. They're in it for things. But by the end they're sort of going 
like you've pissed me off too much. You know what I mean? And that's why that's but that's why I think it's a very American form because I think Americans see themselves in that character, in that thing of going, "Hey, we we get it and we're we're capitalists. Sure. We're in this but but you but you 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 try to pull the wool over our eyes or you go too far right. and we're going to say yeah, you're going you, stop too much. murdering yeah, people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, or by the way, in in like you know Nicholson and Chinatown, it's sort of like, it's like, you know, you, you you're you're gonna you're gonna ruin things for other people to get more. You've already got a lot. You know right. what I mean? And that's that sort of American thing to say. Sure. Hold on. You know, we well, don't do that. We're we're a lot of things, but we're not we're not. You know, an aristocracy. Well, and but also it's that it's kind of that dividing line between how much of this is for people mm-hmm. and how much of this is for you. Right, you know, right, it's like right. when because you, you know it's hiding behind that it's progress. You know, Central Park wouldn't have been. You know, come That's on, right. what That's are right. you? It's well, right. It's way, like wait, but then what do you stand to gain from this too? Right, right, and I think, um, I mean, look, I. I think one of one of the films that, as I was, you know, in college, coming do, when Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing" came out, I remember thinking it 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 really it kind of rewrote my almost like my aspiration of like what what a movie does when it takes on. I mean, that movie obviously just took head on the whole conversation about race in in ways that no one was saying those things. In a mainstream movie, mm-hmm. but the most, but the thing to me was it. It said it had this. It tells this story, and then at the end, it literally has a quote from Martin Luther King and a quote from Malcolm X, and they're both different interpretations of what you take away from these challenges. And it was literally like he was like, "Over to you, right? You know, I ain't answering this for you. Right. I'm putting it in front of you. We got to think about this. We got to think about that yin yang." And that's a rather rare thing, I think. I think a lot of a lot of films will, um, for all intents and purposes, they'll hand you a Xanax at the end. <laughs> they'll 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 sort of pretend to mess with you, but they'll kind of want to make sure you feel all right at the end. Right, right, right. right. And I think um, I think the ones that the ones that end up putting a question in your lap about essentially like how how much should we take before we in my in this case I think sort of saying. What do you think, mm-hmm. you know, about these these this, the debate that's under this, right? Right. But the most important thing is, in a, in a lot of ways, you got to have fun along the way, and even do even do the do the right thing. The music, the acting, the way he shot the film, you know, you, you it's like a hypnosis. You just go along. You're going along with it, and you're getting this very nourishing, like set of social questions, but in a way that you're laughing and. You know, and I and I think um, the thing I I think whenever people have taken on whether it's Chinatown or L.A. Confidential, I I love I've always loved the drift of those films when they don't when they don't um, lean into what I'd call like tongue in cheek cliche when mm-hmm. they say no no like these were gutsy times with real like you know grown up characters in them I think I think people like to go on those drifts like through a credible version of a kind of a, a time when things had a certain, you know, a different patina to them. I mean, I, I do often think about 
how, you know, you get to the end of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and you go, oh, the good guys won. And then you go, wait a minute, there's freeways everywhere and no red car anymore. Yeah. So they didn't actually yeah. win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and nobody stopped them from stealing the Owens River Valley water and irrigating the San Fernando Valley. Like, nobody, nobody stopped them from ripping down... The Brooklyn neighborhoods, but maybe there, but maybe there is a better way. At least asking the question is maybe there's a better Mm -hmm. way because it, I, from what I, what I believe I know about you is that did your grandparents start a low income housing organization? Yeah, my my grandfather, um, who I I worked for, I I worked for him in New York. The first few years I was out of college, he he was kind of he was essentially the antithesis of Alec Baldwin's character in this. He was a very he was. He was more like Willem Dafoe's character. He mm-hmm. was a real humanist, idealist, um, and actually, some of the things Willem Dafoe says were things my grandfather said in speeches. Oh, wow. um, like his line about to to serve people, you have to love people. Right. And and um, and uh, that was something he used to say. And uh, um, the he he was very famous in his own right as a he was kind of a a, a guru to. Um, progressive urban developers and thinkers about city planning. Uh, and and he was very, very involved. He was a commercial developer, but then he, he got very, very involved in in the challenge of, 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 of the, the lack of affordable housing and how do you move beyond these essentially slum, these things that we built notionally to solve the problem of, of low-income housing, that, but that became slums. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you rebuild neighborhoods um, and and this organization he built, Enterprise Community Partners, is is ne- it's the largest uh, developer of affordable. It's one of the largest developers of affordable housing in the country now. Um, so he so this was very deep for me. It was sure. it was he he inspired totally my interest in in those histories, those um, deep the deep history of corruption and sort of uh, of of um, damage that was done. That we're still dealing with, because in a lot of ways, the things my grandfather was working to try to rectify were the wreckage of what was done mm-hmm. in the fifties that he tried to wave the flag about, along with many others. But um, and so I, there's 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 a lot in it that was um, my uh, my tip of the hat to the work he did and stuff like that. Um, but um, um, he met he met the character that. Alec Baldwin's character is semi-based on mm-hmm. the, uh, Robert Moses, and in the '60s, and he apparently came out of meeting him and said that's one of the most dangerous men in America. Um, he really was like he was really shaken by by meeting him. Um, so that was very much in my head. <laughs> well, and it's also the idea that because a, a lot of times we think of we think of villains, and you think of the even in the Darth Vader case, it's like. You know Darth Vader's con- like you. He's very apparent who yeah. he is and what he is. But it's the idea that you know that there are people who have figured out that they don't care about money, they don't care about attention. They have just figured out how to quietly fold themselves into the system and, and tie it together in a you know in a malevolent way yes. <laughs> to not be noticed. Like that's what's that's what's scary. Absolutely, I, I think. I mean, like. The politics of it pushed to the side for a second. If you just look simply at like what everybody, the, the network of power that the Koch brothers built outside of any 
Um, you know, obviously they didn't hold elected office, and for a long, long time, people didn't realize what they were doing. You know, it took a long time for people to grasp the amount of power they had assembled. In many ways, a power that was utterly dominating the notional democratic political system, right? And and I think um, re- re- reshaping it. And I think that um, that is very much a theme in this. That that there's a that not not seeing things as they are, not seeing not seeing where power is held. Or Willem Dafoe's character in the film says, you know, everyone's walking around calm as Hindu cows, thinking we live in a democracy. So what could possibly go wrong, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that that notion that to me that's part of what not to get too academic, but that's part of what what is great about noir. Like the idea of noir in film is it's kind of this thing of saying. We better we better pay attention. If we get complacent, some very dark shit will get done right. while we're not looking. Yeah, you know and what it I takes mean? one guy who just happens to be street level, kind of poking around. That's right. And, and the the old like seemingly one of the few people asking questions. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, wait a minute, that's weird. What about this? And why yeah. is this guy's name on yeah. this? And well, these people are very upset, but no one's listening to right. them. You know, right? Exactly. Just kind of tying those things together. And, but and I think that's why, like the. You know, the detective in these things stands for us. That's why we we like that Nicholson... Like, why does Nicholson do anything that he does in Chinatown? Just because someone played him. Someone plays him in the yeah. beginning. They they pretend to be someone, they hire him, and they, they make him look bad, and he just doesn't like it. Yeah. He just doesn't like it. And yeah. he, he says... You know, like, some, someone played me, and I don't, you know, I don't like getting played. And that's us. We don't... We're, we'll, we'll, we'll go along happily until we feel like you're trying to play us for a sucker. You know yeah. what I mean? And I, and I like that. In in this case, I think, look, everything you do, you, you try to bend it through yourself in a way. And in this case, to me, like, um, <laughs> like no, Nicholson, Bogart is Bogart, right? Like nobody's Bogart. Right. And Nicholson is Nicholson. Like no, they, people have qualities as an actor. And I think for me, what, what made me pull toward this, he he's sort of the anti-hero version of the detective, like the Tourettec guy who, you know, if 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 Nicholson's detective meets a blonde in a bar, he's got, he's got a great line. You always got a great line. <laughs> mine mine, I think, like can't light her cigarette because he compulsively can't stop blowing it out. And and that's you know that's more my sweet spot. Right. The guy the guy who's um, sort of smart on the inside, but um, you know has a, a duality or is afflicted was felt more um my like my version of it <laughs> how do you how do you pick, like uh, how do you pick what you do is it is it ju- is it do you is it just a gut feeling or does someone go hey edward here's the thing do this and you go okay i like these people sure i mean is that, it that's it, happened it i think uh maybe in the you know if if you're really lucky as an actor and you 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 start getting you. You have the freedom to choose, which is that alone is is a, a rare gift for an actor. Uh, in the beginning, I think. I mean, honestly, like like uh, you know, when I made The People versus Larry Flint, it's like Milos Forman was one of my idols. He directed One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest and Amadeus, and I honestly would have gone. And worked as like a, a, an assistant to him on a film. So you say, I'm not sure where he's going with this 
story precisely, but I don't care. Right. Like, I want to watch him do his work, be a part of whatever he does. Um, other times people say, we're going to make a poker movie, uh, and, and, it, and these people are going to be in it. And you sort of go, those people, what was the last great poker movie that was ever made? <laughs> and it's really a genre play. You go, yeah, let's do that. Let's, like, let's go for, let's go for, you know, almost like, like a type of thing. Right. I, mean, Paul, I think as I've gone along, I think more and more um, these days, I think either I sort of want to, you know, if, if, if an Alejandro Iñárritu, who I've known a long time, think is one of the great modern filmmakers, and, he's, and one night at midnight you get a text saying, will you read this <laughs> script, Birdman, and you finish it at at two, you know you're pushing things to the side and figuring it out. Right. And you're going to do that because that's like a gift drop from heaven. Yeah. And you sort of say, like, one of the greatest ones, a, a script I laughed at and marveled at all the way through, that's just the easiest thing in the world. But in a way, I think I'm happier to wait for those maybe than I was in the past when I was more interested in sort of trying out types of films, if that yeah. makes sense. And in the meantime, I think... Um, you know, something like Motherless Brooklyn, initially it was a gre- it was a greedy impulse of like, well, this, it was pure greedy actor. Like this is, this character is hard. It's kind of the thing that I love the most. Uh, it's in my, it, it's the thing, it's the kind of thing I think I understand. But then um, another thing kicked in eventually, not right away. But, you know, like I think, I was very affected by things like uh, Reds, Warren Beatty's great film about, mm-hmm. you know, American socialists, right? And he was like, a, he was a, he was like a, one of the biggest movie stars in the world. And he goes and writes, directs, produces, produces and acts in a three hour and 15 minute movie about American socialists that at the time I know directly from him, everyone said, you're going to flush everything. Every chip you've got is going down on this one. No one wants to see this movie. You're crazy, but to him, but for him, you know, he was inspired by Orson Welles, who he had known, and he was like, "What the hell is all this worth if I don't take a big swing at the things that interest me?" Right. The th- and and lo and behold, like you know that I think that's one of the great films about America made in the seventies. Like, well, also, or, or the, or, and 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 I look at it and go, even Dances with Wolves or Unforgiven or. You know, there are certain films you look at and you go, this, per- this is an actor. They've, they've done it for a while. They felt very deeply about a certain thing and they knew it was in their wheelhouse and they just did it. And, and then with this one, I, I really felt like, like, you know, what, it feels, it's scary in a way, but, but at a certain point you're like, why not try to do, to do one of these? You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. But I also, I don't know. I think the business is different now where back then I feel like there were fewer opportunities, you know, and if and, and an actor like that could take a big swing. And if it whiffed, then it was like, you know, there were only a couple of studios. And it's like, well, no one wants to touch that guy. I just don't think I don't it doesn't feel like the, it's this. It's really the same thing anymore because there's so many platforms, so many places for movies. To come out. And, and like the worst thing that sort of ha- I mean. It's like, okay, well, if someone makes a thing and not a ton of people see it, that still doesn't mean that it's a fail. You know, like it, no. it, it, 
because there's just so many different ways to appreciate, and so many different things can have a second life on streaming. So it, it's it's just not. Oh, and I've had, I mean, long before the streaming came into the mix. I mean, you know, like when, like I don't think at, I had worked on some things I was pretty passionate about in the late nine American History X. My friend David and I, that was our baby, and we he wrote it and we rewrote it, and I. We put that together, and that was something we wanted to do, you know. And we we made that very down and dirty, and we felt very passionate about it. But it was a very guerrilla experience, and it's not like it made a lot. It it did much better in Europe when it came out than it did in the states. Mm-hmm. Eventually, um, uh, and, and or initially rather, and it and the thing is like the life of that the 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 long the long tail of that one. Um, was it's not even that it was satisfying. It was it was incredibly revealing as an experience because you just suddenly and that in those days there was still Blockbuster and it <laughs> kept popping up in the top ten rentals of Blockbuster and then you know it just stayed in the dialogue in a in a way that you realize wow you know this the, the measure of the success of this is not in the slightest how it did at the box office. It's that it became. And it became like a, a, a fairly – I don't know what the right word is. It, it, it entered the conversation and it stayed there mm-hmm. as a thing people pointed to as emblematic of, of certain dyna- – you know, and that's what we wanted, right? And then – and literally the next year we made Fight Club and, and I don't think a group of people has ever felt more like dialed in on a thing together that we were like doing something that was about us and for our – friends and and we got you know we got torched when that came out really yeah it it was you know it was a considered a big flop at the box office we got booed at the venice film festival and um i had no idea and and the and the and that's what i mean the people look back and they kind of credit it with a we at least 50 percent of the reviews weren't even just negative they were they were excoriating us i mean they were like really like you know I mean, there was one thing saying that this this is this is anti-American, uh, anti-cinema, and anti-God. I mean, it was like it was like it was like it was things, and and it was and it you know I think there was a measure of it that stung. It was sort of like what you realize is actually we've done a thing, we've stuck a fork in pretty hard. We think it's funny, but but in a way, looking back, I was like, well, what did we expect? And in a way. I think Fincher got round to the place where he was like, hey, if some people hadn't been pissed off, then we didn't go far enough. You know what I mean? Then, then we didn't go far enough. But it still sort of rattles you. In the long tail, though, you sort of realize this thing formed its own conversation. Of course. With the people that it was intended for. And you get to sort of this, you get to sort of this sense of, hey, wait a second. Maybe this gives you the confidence in the future to say, don't don't tune out tune out that short term, you know the short term volatility. Absolutely, it comes from a thing, and and play for play for what you think you know you're going for, and and give it time. And to your point, um, people people get to it now easier and more broadly than ever. Absolutely, yeah. and it, it does. And it it I had no idea about any of that, but even just in sort of. Talking about Orson Welles, I mean, perhaps he my, got spanked. Perhaps my wife's great grandfather suppressed really? that movie for a long time. 
He was yes, based on him, and he. But and I'm not saying it's great when some when someone like crushes something down. It's incredibly painful. However, because it had been crushed down, twenty years later, it started appearing on television when they needed content for television. Then yeah. people realized. Oh my God! This was a hidden gem of a. This yeah. is one of. This is the it, greatest film well, of all time. And they just weren't it, ready for it. It wasn't. It, yet. A, it wasn't a financial success. It. To be fair, it was nominated. You know, it was nominated for Academy yeah. Awards. Filmmakers, filmmakers, very quickly and very soon after with that film, recognized the sort of as- astonishing audacity of its filmmaking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? People in the culture could say whatever they want, and there was people, you know, knocking it, you know, sort of for the, like you said, I mean, Hearst thought it was about him. He was he was trying to suppress it, but it also some people thought it was like too talky and too long and <laughs> and and too weird. Yeah. They really did. Some people just did. It wasn't. It didn't feel like they, a, just, they weren't ready it for didn't it feel at like that a, time. A mainstream film in 1941, right? But filmmakers were very quickly looking at it and going. Look at these! Look at these shots! Look at these crossfades! Look at the audacity of this twenty-five-year-old guy playing a man through to his his death, and and the 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 unapologetic um, intelligence of that text. It's a it's a it's a weighty. I forgot he was twenty-five. He was twenty-five. <laughs> I mean, it, it's like Springsteen doing Born to Run when he was twenty-five. It's like it really is. Fuck? It is. It's mind blowing. And what's funny is you look back on it. There's things about it that are lo- technically lumpy in some ways, but but it's you talk about a big swing. It's just a big swing. It's like a person going, "Let's let's talk about this country." He really was saying, "Let's talk about this country and let's talk about um, our character, like mm-hmm. what 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 makes us, and then what what unmakes us." You know right. what I mean? What what is like good about it, our our spirit and our audacity, and then how does it turn against itself? You make something, you know, and, and, and like in Fight Club's case too, maybe it just took a little bit of time for society to catch up with what it was saying, yeah. and then go, oh, I mean, I I don't remember ever not liking that movie or having friends who are like, oh my god, this is the fucking coolest. And also, it spawned. <laughs> I'm embarrassed that I'm telling you this, but it. I had this. I, I do like to apply the Fight Club filter to a lot of other things. For instance, I don't believe that in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I believe Cameron. I believe that Ferris is Cameron's Tyler Durden. I do not believe that Ferris Bueller exists, and I think he, he imagined him. I believe that Cameron, who's this just like yep. hypochondriac, completely oppressive father, you know, like hates his life, needed someone to help him break out of this box that he was given and you know and a very sort of capitalist box because his dad's got that fucking ferrari yeah and i think that i think that ferris is an extension of his mind uh, um I, i'll melt your mind with another one that oh, we God. talked about a lot yes please we we talked about uh the while making it we talked about the f- dawning awareness we had that like Fight Club is The Graduate. It's the same story as The Graduate. You have this person entering adult life. You know, in The Graduate, it's plastics, right? Mm -hmm. In this, it's the life he's in, et cetera. But Mrs. Robinson, who is Tyler Durden, comes (laughs) comes along and says, 
Let's put the middle finger up to everything your parents said you were supposed to do, right? Let's do something very dark and nihilistic. And by the way, in The Graduate, he even gets set up with Elaine Robinson, but he's already begun this sort of dark, Mm -hmm. you know, middle finger act of rebellion with Mrs. Robinson, right? He he goes and treats Elaine Robinson, Marla, Uh very badly, right? Elaine Robinson is the Helena Bonham Carter. She's, right. He he sees his female, though he sees the girl he really should be linking up with. Mm-hmm. But he re, he he goes black, right? <laughs> and and he goes out with Mrs. Robinson, Tyler Durden, until it gets too destructive and dark, and then he goes crazy and goes chasing after Elaine yeah. Mar- Marla until. He does a completely insane thing at the very end and kind of links up with her just in time for you to fade to black going, what the hell just happened, right? <laughs> it's exactly... It's the exact same. And also, similarly, maybe a little Harold and Maude, too. Yes. Yes, interesting. But Although that ends in a much yes. sadder way. <laughs> yes. Um, sad, it, sad, no. Bittersweet. 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 All these things said, um, you know... I don't want to wait 20 years for Motherless. People should still go to the theater <laughs> on November 1 and see Motherless Brooklyn because um, actually I can say there's not going to be anything for a grown-up human being on that weekend. Um, it's weird. I looked. There's there's like – there's there's very little um, – you know. Is that just sort of by like a happy accident? No, I, I, I think it's great. Well, I mean I think – November 1st. Yeah. In New York and L.A., I think – Martin Scorsese's movie, The Irishman, will be in New York and L.A., but that's going to be on Netflix about, you know, a blink of an eye later. And right, right, three right. three and a half hours long. <laughs> right, right, right. So, right. you know, um, it's uh, – a yeah, I, 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 I think um, we could have, to your point, like there's a lot of ways to get a thing done. You could, you could do Motherless Brooklyn as a, a, a limited series. You could do it as a thing. But I, I just kind of felt like – um, I feel like these films that a lot of us love, not just me, Chinatown or, or you know, L.A. Confidential, they, we, we, we don't get them that often. And every now and then I think people like to re- return to that. Not too often, but I think, I think when one comes along that it's like got great actors and it's down yeah. in its shoes and it's really – it's one of those things. It's not that it's romantic per se, but it's the – it's – it's the kind of thing that always, to me, was romantic about going to the movies was the capacity to remake L.A. in the 30s and drift with that great theme from Chinatown or that great soundtrack from L.A. Confidential, you know, and, and to kind of feel like, whoa, this is not people playing. This doesn't feel like people playing dress up. Like I'm, right. I'm through the portal and into that era. There's no wink, wink. There's no tongue in cheek about it. And man, is this cool? You know yeah. what I mean. And I, those, there, it's hard. Those are hard. And I think um, I felt like we all felt like let's try to make one of these in the old-fashioned way in the in the, in the movie theater. It was good in two hours. You speak. know, like the limited series. The, I I still think we haven't fully figured out the limited series yet because it's like these ten episode arcs. Yeah. And there's like, all right, episode three, six, <laughs> eight, and nine. 
those were the episodes where they clearly had to save some budget. <laughs> there was a lot of talking because they just had to make ten episodes, yeah. you know, and it really was like this could have been four episodes, Maybe, yeah. you know. So I think I think the story is perfect in that everything's as long as it needs to be, yeah. you know. Yeah, I hope so. I I think um, you lose you 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 know you have to you have to just sort of do these things, and um, at a certain point, like you. You lose. You, you, you can't even. You can't. You can't. Um, you can only game it so much. You you just have to make the thing as close to the thing that was in your head as you can, and um, and sit back and sort of hope that the the rhythm of it and the the whatever the dialogue, the cast, the music that it. That it works its magic. You yeah, know but you're I mean? also directing yourself at the same time, which to me, I was just talking to Lake Bell about this yesterday because she does this, she did the same thing. I'm like, how do you not how how do you separate and go, okay, now I'm in actor mode, now I have to step out of this moment that I was in where I have to be fully present and then think big picture again because, you know, like what It's not it's not the greatest situation, uh, is the answer. It it both jobs are and both jobs are in opposition to the needs of the other job. You know yeah. what I mean? And and like actors actors do an important thing together on movies, which is there's a lot of distraction all around. It's a very technical process. You you know, act the, the space between action and cut where actors do their 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 work is is like 10% of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, 10 90% of the day is technically figuring out and setting up and executing on the shots, uh, and and actors sort of, I think, create and and hold a bubble of concentration for each other. They they help keep each other as much as possible in the headspace where you're not thinking about all that, and you're kind of in there together. I don't know, c- sustaining the make believe, right? But when when one of you is is ping ponging out of that that that's not a great thing and that was my my anxiety was less about directing myself because I knew I could do my preparation as an actor and get where I want to go and also frankly I know I'm going to cut the movie so I can kind of like throw a lot of stuff against the wall and know that I'm going to not just give the performance but sculpt it later right so I trust myself. You do, but you're also, it's like, you know, when you're in a scene with Willem Dafoe, who's really great in this, by the way, and, but then you got to go, okay, cut. Okay, so can yeah. you just, you know, like. <laughs> well, that, that, no, that's, you're right. That's the thing I was most concerned about is what's the impact, what's the impact on my fellow actors, essentially? Yeah. Like, how does that feel? How does that mess with it? How, how do I want to do that? The, the, the easiest the you know the best way to hedge against that is to get actors who are real what i would call tradecraft pros like people who who have done theater who know how to come in with their own performance very fully realized in some sense and who honestly i sort of trust and expect are going to knock my socks off mm-hmm. like um <clears throat> which may sound sort of glib but i just didn't put anyone in this movie who i didn't have a high degree of confidence was gonna was gonna su- not only surprise me but who was gonna make me keep up with their level of game you mm-hmm. know and many of them I've known a long time were you know Bobby Cannavale and I came up together 
Dallas, I did American History X with Ethan Suplee. I did plays with Dallas Roberts. So the guy, like the guys in our crew in the movie, the detective agency. Yeah, I've known all of those guys over twenty years, and and you get a shorthand together, and you 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 fall into it, you know, um, and that helps. Or you get legends like Willem Dafoe, mm-hmm. you know, or people like Alec Baldwin, who Alec is like a Shakespearean actor. He has a command of language. That's so phenomenal yeah. that you can give him these enormous like soliloquies almost, and he just crushes them. Mm-hmm. Like he does not need he doesn't need a lot of guidance. You just have to like let him run, and 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 he's he's really really a great dramatic actor. As the funny thing is, people are like, well, you know, like the thing of doing Trump on things. First of all, what I think what he's doing is Trump is a great service. He, he you know, there's nothing that that bullies hate more than being than being mocked or 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 there, there's nothing that gets under well, so their skin it's just more what snl has done since exactly forever. forever that's what they do but 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 he's been in there doing something that's important which is which is um you know there there is a kind of that's how you speak truth that's one way you 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 cut power down to size is you 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 make fun of it you know what i mean and 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 you know something like in America we can do that like we SNL can mock the Democratic candidates and the pre- current president and all these things and nobody's going to get in trouble right that's that's a that's like one thing you can say about the United States still that you can't say in Russia or in China or in a lot of places people get in big trouble for any kind of challenge to power right mm-hmm. I think that's a great thing but I also think Alec among among my crowd of actors and performers, it's like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, like put that coffee down. Coffee is for closers only. Like that is canonical with us. It's like that Alex's capacity to have that, that darker side of these things, that the bully, the really, he's got a lethal capacity for intimidation and, and heft, you know, a real, a real heft. And I, and I think um, it was very exciting to work with him in that gear because he's just, just terrifically, um, I don't know. He, he's he's not a kid, you know. He's got like that thing that those old world, like Lee J. Cobb in On the Waterfront or yeah. Twelve Angry Men. You're like, it's like Gene Hackman. You know what I mean? Like people with real, like, put you back in the in the back of your seat kind of yeah. um, force, you know. And I I loved I loved getting to work with him in that in that. Incarnation. I'm curious because it feels like you from early. By the way, I remember auditioning for Primal Fear when I still actually auditioned for stuff. And I was reading it recently. It was like Edward Norton was cast with 2,000 actors. I was like, I was one of the 2,000. (laughs) By the way, they totally made the right choice. But um, that movie, I mean, were you. I feel like that was an immediate like, oh, this guy's famous now. Like everyone knows who he is. And, and And I seem to even remember back then. That it wasn't like that part of it wasn't stuff that it seemed like you weren't really seduced by all that stuff that you wanted to just kind of be normal and not. And so how does a young actor when presented with like the keys to Hollywood and the keys to fame and stuff go? I just don't think most people be like, you know what? I kind of want to just focus on work and I don't really you must have been pressured by people like, oh, you should go, uh, you know. I mean, there's there's a there's a there's a dimension of it that's super easy, which is like. Um, 
people start showing up with serial killer scripts and you're like, you're like, please, like, 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 come on, nobody's, nobody's that cheap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, but um, it's like, give me 20 years before I start repeating myself. You know what I mean? Right, right, Please right. allow me what you gave William Hurt and, you know, Al Pacino. At least let me, uh, at least let, give me a, a while before I'm... Primal Fear 2, yeah, still exactly. primal. No, yeah, exactly. Um, honestly, though, uh, some of it was, again, it, it's, it's luck. I Luck and having good mentors. I mean, I think... Um, you know, I was I was working on People versus Larry Flint when Primal Fear came out, and I, I was working with one of my idols, like you know Milos Forman, and I, like one of the great director of all time. Like I think like almost more Oscar nominations for his films than any director in history at that time, mm-hmm. and just a great human being and a great mentor. And I was so in that experience that it was sort of like the the film came out, and it was kind of like. Did it do well? And, it, and people were like, yeah, it, it's, it's doing great. Okay, great, great. But you're, when you're down and in the work and into the next thing, it's the best distract, you know, it's the best antidote to sort of all that noise yeah. in a way. Um, and and I've, con- I've always found that, that, I've always found that focusing on the thing going forward is both the best place to be, but in a weird way, Whatever anyone's saying that, you know, could go to your head or whatever, I don't know if you feel this, but I always feel at the beginning of of the next thing, there's no build in your confidence. Like you you it's like a re it's like it's like a job where um you the, you learn things, but still the reset each time leaves you at essentially I don't I don't know what the hell I'm doing mm-hmm. at the start of this. And I, you like, okay, I've got my trigger, I've got nicotines. But every single time I go through a phase of going, I don't know how to do, I don't know where this, I don't know where this is yet. And, and I always have a moment, always, not even just that sometimes I, I feel like I haven't found it and we're starting Whenever I'm starting on a film, the first week I think someone's going to take away my license. <laughs> like they're going to they're going to call me out and they're going to see through my fakery. Ah, uh, the and, imposter syndrome. Yeah, everybody's got it yeah. maybe, but and even when I'm down and in it, I I just think that like um the work itself, the work itself is the best way to hum- to humble yourself and keep yourself like on your toes. Um and I think um the the other th- the other thing is is in a way like just to you know the if you keep if you if you find if you're lucky enough to look at things and go that I'm I'm not entirely sure like I'm the best person for that or that's that seems very that seems like that if I get that wrong, it could go very badly. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like there's no in between. This is this either either make this work or <laughs> or it's a career ender. You know what I mean? And, and if you have that sensation, I think that also puts you in sort of the. I mean, it's not like someone who's a, a policeman and really takes risk. You know, risk every day. But you feel. I think if you feel that you're you're 
you're putting yourself in the zone where failure is possible. It then is. That, then, then that's a great sensation. Ultimately, it's a sensation that's very invigorating. Um, and I think people, you know, sort of forget. I, I don't know. It helps me in a weird way um, to tune into talk about reading about Orson Welles or you talk to if you talk to Warren Beatty about like what was making Reds like or anybody you realize that like we project backwards like well that must have been like amazing to make a classic film like that and you realize that it felt entirely half-baked for those people that's it's revisionist history sure when we go how great that must have been because they're like their sensation was it was such a bitch to get made. No one wanted to do it. We were over schedule. I thought this is the end of everything. People were telling me it's the end of everything. And I, you know what I mean? And and those, when I actually try to marinate in those things, it's helpful because it it reminds you that most of the best things that you've seen that inspired you had the sensation of of risk feeling half-baked and that's great yeah but it's also so i mean the thing that's so weird and scary about all of it is of course you have those moments where it's like oh he made reds or oh fight club worked out yeah but then i'm sure you know but then there's also a lot of things that people make where it's like they had that same sensation and it didn't work (laughs) out and so how do you know when you're fighting when you're fighting for something that is really real and authentic or it's like or is this my ego like i don't know yeah you know you don't you, you you don't know i mean i think there has to be a there has to be something like I think the biggest trap is to is chase a paycheck, right? Like I think if you chase a paycheck, you you that's the speediest way to get into a situation where your you, you, your actual values creatively are up against right. machinery that that um, can create you know friction. I think that um, I think having a good reason to do a thing is good enough and. And you don't know if it's, if it's going to fly, but but having a good reason to do it is good. I think that um, I don't know. I was even reading, you know, <laughs> I was reading this thing with about, uh, Francis Coppola was talking about like making Apocalypse Now, which well, like when I was making this movie, I mean, which is you know this film's like two seven two hours and seventeen minutes, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, I was like. It was Warner Brothers, so I was trying to be able to say it's shorter than Star is Born, right? Um, like it, it's a thing. It's a thing. I just wanted to be able to say, like, you know, shorter than Chinatown, right? Whatever. Oh, you want those easy things, right? Even though, um, you, you you know, that's not really what anybody should care about. But I um, I found myself um, I found myself like going back and trying to give myself confidence by watching films that move at a at a what some people might call a careful pace or a, a, a that take their time mm-hmm. just to remind myself here and there, look, this is a film I love and that's how it actually feels. Don't listen to other people. Great films that we all love for, you know, not just the Godfather at over three hours, but I was watching Apocalypse Now, right? And, and Apocalypse Now, it's not just that it holds up. I actually think it's better today at my age watching it knowing what i know about me i actually think it's better than i even understood mm-hmm. 30 years ago it every transition it's the best voiceover the music is so great what it's about is so great it has one of it the interior monologue of it I, the photography the acting the shots i can't get over that film it 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 says it and yet 
you read this interview with Coppola and he's like, you know, like forget that they were like a hundred days over schedule <laughs> and all that. It was more that the culture, the culture set, the whole town had said to him, this is unreleasable. He was cutting the movie and people were saying it's unreleasable. And he says, I, he says, I was saying to myself, how are they saying it? I'm not done. <laughs> but it, but he, he said, it's affecting the way I'm looking at the movie. Right. And finally he just was like, they're, and and this and he people don't realize he had debt he had put he had taken debt to make it and the interest rate in seventy seven was twenty five percent like like well, like we oh, think super fucked yeah we think we're tough yeah like those were men yeah like, they were like they were like you're like twenty five percent interest like did that even actually happen right and he's like I'm I'm like and he's like my I could have lost my whole he, he's like bet his house you know what I mean and then he just was like. I just have to get out from under this conversation. And he shows the movie unfinished at Cannes and it like wins the Palme d'Or. But he, but even then he said, he's like clawing back the, the room to actually just finish this film. And you go, you go, if that's what happened to apocalypse now, like it helps you toughen your skin. Sure. You know what I mean? It, sure. hel- it helps you toughen your skin and sort of um, just, just, just proceed, you know, step by step to try to let people be their own judge. Well, if you're going to, I mean, again, if you're going to go down, you know, like, <laughs> isn't it better? I, I tend to think it's better if you kind of go out swinging on your own terms versus, you know, like if, if, if an agent or someone was like, Edward, you got to do this movie. And you go, I don't really feel good about that. Oh, no, you got to do it. It's going to be huge. And then it tanks. Yeah. And you're like, God damn it. I fucking knew it. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't listen to my gut. You know, yeah. at least if you're kind of going out on your own terms, you're, you, yeah. you can kind of go like, you know what? I yeah, at yeah. least took the, I took the swing. There's two great documentaries by Martin Scorsese about Dylan. There's the original one he made that's like over four hours long, mm-hmm. No Direction Home. But there's also this new one, um, uh, about the Rolling Thunder tour, mm-hmm. and um, and when you there's this one great moment. There's all this stuff they've revealed that they're in this documentary that is sort of a joke. They've they've made some made up stuff, which I thought was genius. But there's some stuff that's uh, true, and they're talking to him now, and you watch it now, and you just go look at him. Tom York and I were talking about it while working on the music and things. He was like, "Have you seen this? These performances." on this tour in 75 or the most punk rock thing ever. He's, he's like playing his folk songs like the, like punk rock songs, like with so much more anger and trans taking these things that were beloved in culture and saying, it's, it's not working. Right. You got to do it another way. And you watch these performances, he's in this kabuki makeup and it's, it's so, they're so intense and so great. And you realize like, I've never seen these and never heard this. And they're talking to him now and saying, well, what, what was, what was the outcome? And he goes, the, you know, uh, nothing, you know, zero, no rip ashes. The whole thing went to ashes. Like, like the, he, he's like basically saying it was a failure. Right. No one paid attention. And you're like going, but wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> like, look at, look, look at this man. It's, it's incredible. But I love that, you know, he, and he, he was always like a person who was essentially like, here it is. And I'm moving on. I'm moving over here. By the time you've, rendered any judgment on the thing I've done. I've, I've, I've left it well, and yeah, moved I mean, like, on to something else. And, and But I mean, of course, like people, again, I think people like that, they say, well, Dylan, but yeah, but, but when you pay attention to it, 
to people who really, really have, just as you said, they've shut down those other voices and they've moved forward with what's authentic to them, you, you, you realize like that's, um, that's pretty much a characteristic of the people we tend to end up admiring the most. Well, that's all. And that's also that's all you can do because you can't control if people are going to like something now or 20 years from no. now or whatever. And if you, you know, if you were able to resurrect Van Gogh and be like, look, people like your I shit know. now, you'd be like, what the fuck? You know, like yeah. how? So you, you just can't, at least I think if you're able to say to yourself, you know, whatever external measures for success are, are pass or fail, whatever that is. I still did what I wanted to do, and I'm still doing that. And I think that's really the – that's kind of – if you can be left with that, that's not a terrible thing. No, I, I mean especially not when you're um, <laughs> when you're getting paid to play dress up. You know what I mean? I mean, I mean <laughs> like I mean I, I have these moments where I'm like um, whenever it gets sort of – when whatever when the versions of pressure that come on us while we're doing these things get going, it's sometimes very helpful to just literally have your mantra be, "I play I I put I play dress up and pretend to be other people for a living." <laughs> like, how seriously can I take myself or this or or anything else? It's it, it's good I think to kind of go um, the negative consequences here mm-hmm. in the worst case scenario are not right. so bad. Yeah, so I'll have um, to play dress-up maybe once or twice that's not my favorite kind of dress-up, yeah. but then I'll get to yeah. play dress-up on, on yeah, something it, I like exactly. again. Um, but that's a healthy perspective, though, and I don't I don't know if you always had that or if that just sort of no. comes with wisdom or no, whatever. It, 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 I, I mean, the, the funny thing about any anything creative is silly in a way. But you have to take it seriously, like, like, you know, if you like, if you look at like the volume of novels written, the volume of records that people make and put out, the the amount of stuff that's on your Netflix queue alone, you know what I mean? Like, if you if you when you stop to contemplate. When you stop to contemplate how these things that you throw yourself into become uh, small drops in the bucket of enormous amounts of creative <laughs> output, some of which is also wrapped in this, you know, kind of a business model context, and you know, you you can it's you can get you can humble yourself pretty quickly when you realize that like um, uh, there's just an awful lot of stuff out there, right? <laughs> Our content is so um, disposable; it doesn't have physical form anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. just like yeah, it's, it's just it, a phantom. Yeah, and I think that, um, <laughs> and I think that, and yet, the yin and yang of that is like, if you don't, if you're going to bother holding on to the conviction that that there's some value in people connecting with each other through music and you know stories and whatever then you have to go at it seriously right mm-hmm. because because i i think there is it, it you can't it you can't fail to observe that these days especially there's a lot of um there's a lot of high fructose corn syrup being handed to us that Absolutely. is it is essentially asking us 
it's offering us um, the Wally version of of being an audience, or it's it's offering us the the layback and let us just like turn you into a vegetable mm-hmm. passivity veg out right. right. But mo- I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody points to those experiences as the things that made them feel connected to anybody else, feel emotional, mm-hmm. understand their own emotions better, understand other people better, understand their country better. Anything that anyone points to that goes, that just, I just wept at the recognition of myself in that, or I laughed because, man, that's us, like, or, or shit, I, we debated it all night at dinner. All of what I would call active, active engagement with stuff comes from people doing stuff that's, that's a little more serious in its intent. It, it, it's more eclectic. It's more personal. And I think, um, and I do think like you've hopefully, hopefully people want some, um, you know, nourishing food along with the junk food. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, it's a balance. I mean, like sometimes yeah. junk food's great. Yep. It's, it feels great to shove a handful of marshmallows into your mouth. Yeah. But if you just subsist on marshmallows, you'll, you know, yeah. go blind from sugar poisoning. Like you can't, you, so, it, it, does need, it does need to be a balance. Yeah. We just have to remind ourselves to make the effort to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think, and I think um, the thing is, I don't know, somehow when I walk out of things, when I walk out of stuff, sort of spinning on and whether it's like Hamilton, you know, which I think, I think I, I, I had tears in my eyes watching Hamilton at the audacity of the fact that this guy wrote it and is in it. And it's such a big swing. I couldn't get over it. I was, I was, I actually got overwhelmed. As a creator, you I got overwhelmed by literally the scale right. of the act, right. let alone the moments in it that also move you. You know what I mean? And, and, um, and I think that uh, when, you, when you go out of something just spinning with your, with your delight in these things renewed, it's usually because someone you know, just, just went for it pretty big and also didn't underestimate people. Like right. just believed in people, believed in people being able to um, handle the sophistication of a thing or the strangeness of a thing, right? Like you, you to me, there's a cynicism in the things that says um, we're gonna make we're gonna make sure that this is exceedingly easy for the maximum number of people. Sure, I don't think that. Um, I don't think that that actually comes from a positive view of humanity. I think it, I think it comes from, I think it comes from like a, sort of an impulse to say like, how can we turn people into copper top? Sure. Like the matrix yeah. feeding into our agenda. Absolutely. Which is the franchising of the world and, and building things that, that we can sell to them at seven different levels right that that is in fact the agenda but i also think that that machine also has a counter culture to it that you know where a lot of real art gets to bounce off and respond to it hopefully yeah so in a way it is that sort of newtonian physics kind of 
equal and opposite reaction. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, this is also going to create this other stuff too. So that could be. And and by the way, anytime, whenever anyone, I always like when I talk to kids or people with ambition to be creative, let alone like in films or whatever. I always really try to point out that um, not only not only does the world we're living in offer creative people more avenues down which to create mm-hmm. and get their stuff in front of people than has ever existed in the history of humanity <laughs> without any question, but also that that um, that it, it's you know there's always there's always a certain struggle um, and sometimes it takes a long time to get, you know, time is, is not your enemy. Time is your friend. You know what I mean? You, 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 you get better. The longer you work on something, the better it gets usually. And I think, um, but I, but I think that uh, to your point, the, 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 let's call it the matrix of the matrix of things designed to exploit you mm-hmm. to exploit all of us in maximum numbers possible as many times as possible right also um you know it 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 doesn't um it it doesn't thwart it doesn't th- it, it that doesn't what's the right way of saying it that shouldn't be equated with with um, limitation on on anyone else going for the op- going for the opposite. You know what I mean? The, it exists. That exists, and it exists. But by the way, it's not new. It's always existed. Yeah. There's always been. To, if you to, to point to the now and say, "Oh my God," you know, studios are merging, and Disney controls the whole world, and all these things. It's like ah. That that was it was not a dissimilar situation in the twenties. Right, it really wasn't. Like and and people people keep finding new end runs around anything. And by the way, we're sitting in one right now because because anyone who said that like long form conversation <laughs> couldn't this, this, we're sitting in your house. You know yeah. what I mean? We're you got this. This is an end run. Around this is an end run around the complex of institutionalized like media and entertainment that happened so frigging fast that on paper should not have worked. Should not have worked. Every, and, every traditional media outlet was like, attention spans are getting shorter. People don't want to listen to people gab on and on about a bunch of shit. And it's like, oh, I, oh, actually, yeah, it turns out they do. Yeah, yeah, and also it turns out by the way that like people people offering that will find each other really fast, really yeah. fast. Um, and, and that now, um, thank you. Your infrastructure is not needed. <laughs> you know, like literally you're, we don't even need you for distribution anymore. Yeah, we'll just, you know what I mean? Like we don't even need it. And that, that, I think that is thrilling. Like if you, if, if you, if you don't, if you don't focus on those things and stay enthused, um, I don't know. You, you you're missing you're missing the upside of what's going on. You know, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of ways to skin the cat. There's a lot of ways to speak to people. And I think to your point, I I, I get I get I get less worried about like you know like um, big companies like 
controlling entertainment because there's enough of them going at it with each other. They need us, right? Yeah. It's like... They need more content. Yeah, they, they need us um, more than ever. Yeah. Like literally more than ever. That's a great thing. But, but also, um, I think that uh, the truth is people... What, what's, what's a little bit scarier to me is that the, the devices, the very things that are liberating us to be direct with each other with more efficiency are creating sort of this situation where I think people are, people are going down the hole of, of personal narrative to a degree that maybe feels a little bit like a, I don't know, um, people are getting lost in, I think, ultimately like a dopamine hit of social affirmation in themselves out, we're getting yeah, lost in that ourselves that has spun up this thing where I'll, I'll sometimes look at even people i know nothing to do with celebrity culture or anything and you just go holy holy shit like the, <laughs> the how many selfies is my friend going to take of themselves and post with some narrative about their life what what is this because this is falling over the bell curve of you know, people connecting and falling down into something where if you try to calculate the hours in the day that people are spending doing, I think, sort of the equivalent of soy lecithin, like it's <laughs> not, this is not nutrition. This right. is, this is filler. And, yeah. um, you know, but the flip to that to me is these devices are created the capacity for you and Sam Harris, you know, I mean, I love Sam Harris's podcast too. I love there are so many niche ones where where great conversations are happening and lo and behold like people are just finding them and finding each other and having these great conversations which which make late night talk show look like like a you know like a someone I don't know like like a you got four minutes like a 40 second ad. What was it like I mean? to work on that thing? It was great. How was yeah. the record? That was great. Yeah. It's amazing. So I don't know. It's the push and pull. I'm not sure it's ever been different than any other time. People were terrified of television. Now they're terrified of social media. People figure it out. And I think I, I dig the end runs. I dig the ways that people figure out to hack it and get there, you know, whether it's like Chance the Rapper or, you know, whatever. People sort of saying, I'm going to build community. Um, that community is going to be high-minded. Mm-hmm. Um it's great. It's great. I can't thank you enough for being here. And and honestly, I don't I, I moderated one pan, I moderated a panel for Birdman at New York Comic Con years ago. And so uh, we met mm-hmm. briefly New when York you were Comic-Con. on when you were on the panel yeah. like years ago. And but we didn't really get to talk. And so I had no idea what to expect and you're just such a nice down-to-earth fellow <laughs> you know like i don't know i really i really appreciate it you, you don't always know it's like well, i don't know he's an actor is it gonna be he's gonna be like what is this dumb how, what do we have to talk about you know and uh and i just appreciate your openness and i also appreciate the sort of message of like just you know stick to your guns you know make make stuff for you and it'll find its place in in the world if yeah. you're authentic to you it will resonate with people Authenticity resonates more than anything else, you know? Yeah. So I just appreciate your Thank willingness you. to do that. And I really did enjoy your movie, which is Motherless Brooklyn, which is out uh, November 1st. And um, and I really I really appreciate you being here. Thanks. It was great. Thanks. Loved also, it. happy Halloween. Let's probably go up Halloween week. <laughs> you got any big trick-or-treaters? 
Oh yeah, no, um, we we take it seriously. Are you what are you, are you dressing up this year? Well, um, there's a um, there's a block in New York near where we live that shuts down. Yeah, and every house becomes a haunted house. Oh, that's fucking uh, fantastic! And it's, it's one of the greatest things um, imaginable. Happy. And families tend to theme up. Good. Yeah, um, and actually, uh, Alec Baldwin. Who lives in my neighborhood is literally my neighbor. Um, he, he every year he's there with his uh, ever increasing exponentially large <laughs> brood, um, and it, it's just the best. It's the best. It's uh, it, it's that again. It's like that's where you see whatever else is going on in the world. Like uh, you know, people. It's the ways people get together and kind of uh, hook up, have a little fun. I I, I, I hope. We don't all end up in VR helmets watching things <laughs> by proxy because I do think getting out and going and watching stories in front of like the firelight yeah. together is great. You know, it's great. It's it, there's And hopefully watching Alec Baldwin dress up like Dracula or something <laughs> just as a fun, just as a thing because yes. he's still a dad. He's still got to do dad shit. And guess what? You can see you can see dramatic actor uh, Alec on Friday night in our film, and then you can tune in Saturday Night Live. <laughs> then you can see him, Saturday Night Live. See him. He's like he's like the old um, the old Greek masks, right? Yeah, like serious C- act, Alec tragedy, masks, comedy, tragedy, and comedy, then, and then comedy, and then maybe he'll show up at your door asking for candy. Exactly. You better fucking give it to him. Yeah. I'm sorry, candy corns are for closer, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> How many times has that guy had to fucking navigate that in his life? Uh, yeah. so don't quote my films to me. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, thank you so much, Edward. It's Pleasure. good to see you. The end. ID 10T scanning complete. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.